This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Later this hour, Opal Agafia visits our studio to give us a preview of the three-day Ozark Mountain Soul Fest taking place next month. First, this month, Tricia Starks, professor of history at the University of Arkansas, was shortlisted for the Pushkin House Russian Book Prize for her latest book, Cigarettes and Soviets, Smoking in the USSR. Starks joined Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth last week to discuss her work, the significance of studying Russia today, and what Americans get wrong about Russia. Well, thanks so much for talking with me today, Trish. Um, can you just sort of walk me through? I know that this is kind of like the latest in a lot of recent scholarship that you've done mm-hmm. on smoking in Russia and in the USSR. And so can you tell me just a little bit about this book and why you wanted to write it? Thank you for having me. And <laughs> thank you for that question. Uh, I first found out about the Soviet anti-smoking campaign when I was researching their public health programs for my first book. In 1918, the Soviets found the first national health care system in the world devoted to prophylactic, unified, universal care. And it's dogged by problems financially, dogged by problems of personnel, yet is able to double lifespans in a little over 20, 30 years. It's an impressive achievement. And as part of that, they also had, shockingly, the world's first national anti-smoking campaign with the first state-funded cessation clinics starting in 1920 and progressing onward from there. And I was shocked to find that out because they are also, you might not know, but uh, if anyone who has been there knows, inveterate, devoted smokers today. And so I was fascinated with how we could have this state with a strong public health tradition, a early start on cessation work, and yet still be facing this horrific health blow. And so what is it about about tobacco and about smoking uh, in this period and during the USSR, during that era, but then also, you know, today still? Tobacco is highly addictive. Uh, Out of every three users, one will become a lifelong user. And out of those people that are lifelong users, quitting is incredibly difficult. And so we have to first give a nod to the fact that it's just an incredibly addictive substance. But... If we look at the Soviets, we're faced with some really weird questions because most of our understandings of tobacco addiction in the West are based upon this idea of, well, what one historian, David Cartwright, has called limbic capitalism, the way that marketers and industry are able to enslave our desires and our biological desires towards addictive substances. And so they concentrate on marketing, on supply, on industrial design, all of these things as being the essentials of why you do tobacco. It doesn't work in the Soviet Union. Soviets in 1917 say no to capitalism, uh, say that advertising is a diseased excrescence (laughs) of capitalism. They really turn a different way that should have nipped tobacco use in the bud. Alongside this public health campaign, we have an anti-capitalist campaign. So how do you have anti-tobacco and anti-capitalist still result in tobacco use. My book traces that through a variety of things, through distrust of the medical system, through disinterest in public health propaganda, to try and understand the Soviet experience and how addiction develops there. I'm wondering for you, why did you get interested in, well, A, in smoking, but then <laughs> and also in, uh, in studying that, and then Russia as well? Like, why are those two things something that you said, I want to look into both of these. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Russia was already a a given, and public health was my first endeavor into trying to understand 
how the Soviets lived differently. I first traveled to the Soviet Union in 1990-91 as a student, and I became fascinated with how the Soviet system functioned and how people lived it. It was so very alien, including this ubiquitous anti-smoking, pro-health propaganda that everyone just blithely ignored. Mm -hmm. Smoking in front of the no smoking signs was a, (laughs) a daily occurrence. The smoking just really became the most focused point for that why doesn't the system work question. What are the things that are really making it gum up. And I think even today, I mean, definitely over the past couple of months, the past year, uh, I think people have become more focused on Russia. But I think it's still mysterious to a lot of us. What do people get wrong about Russia and the Soviet Union? What, What do we not understand? From my research perspective, which is on health, one of the things that people don't understand is how effective Putin has been in public health measures. Instituted in 2012, there have been anti-alcohol and anti-tobacco measures that have curtailed sales, access, places where one can smoke and one can drink that have severely affected how much people are smoking and drinking. Indeed, they claimed that alcohol was down by 80% in use and smoking down by about 20%. And these things have immense effects on public health, which is a weird thing for the Soviets and then the Russians that they're the first major nation to show a decline in public health factors in the 1960s. By the 1990s, the average age of death for a Russian male plummets into the 57 years. And Putin has clawed back from that and is connected with that renewed health of individuals alongside the renewed health of the state. In 1991, Russia had a population of about 149 million. By 2050, demographers are projecting that will go down to 75 to 80 million. Mm. So severe constriction of the population alongside these horrible public health indicators to see improvement on that in concrete. um, Average age of death has risen to mid-70s. That's impressive, Mm -hmm. and that is something that we don't often see discussed in why is Putin so popular or, you know, is he even that popular? There are uh, things that prop him up, and I say health is one of the biggest ones. And it's interesting because a lot of this book was about, you know, uh, there were pieces about gender roles and and how smoking sort of propped up very demarcated gender roles. Mm -hmm. And I know that for Vladimir Putin, masculinity and gender ideology, that's very distinct in his kind of public Mm -hmm. health message as well. Can you talk about that some? Yes, uh, manly is a a definite um, baseline for health um, in Putin's Russia. There's a disturbing song out there uh, that was very popular in the early aughts called Tukovatak Putin. I want a man like Putin who doesn't smoke, uh, who doesn't drink. I want a man like Putin who doesn't beat. It goes on, but his abstemious behavior, he doesn't smoke, he only drinks beer. Those things really are part of his image of a new masculinity that's not connected to smoking, that's not connected to drinking, uh, that has this newer vision of what Russian masculinity can be, and it is embedded in a story of healthful habits. And can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, the research and, and kind of the writing process for this book and, and what that was like? Because I assume you were in Russia for, for much of it. So I was finishing up research on my first book when I found references to this early anti-tobacco campaign because it's really not talked about. There's a, a small note in the Commissar of Health's memoirs about it. I found the actual documents of it in a five-inch thick binder of just random pieces of notes that had been jammed together of all different sizes. And because there's a paper shortage in the Soviet Union in the 1920s, sometimes there were notes written over the top of notes and on the back of notes. And the paper was all 
different kinds of paper. It was a mess. But finding that was a great, uh, great experience. But actually, the most fun I had while researching this was when I was getting a chance to look through the visual archives at the Russian State Library. So there are about 60 illustrations in the book, many of them in color. And while I was in the archive at the Russian State Library, the finding of these visuals was a communal experience. The archivists would stand around, four or five of them, alongside me as I looked at these visuals, not because they were keeping oversight on me to make sure I was... They just wanted to look. And so each time a new visual, we'd, we'd turn the page and pick up a new poster, and there would be these, ooh, ah, oh, look at that. Just a very, yeah. um, it was a lot of fun. It was a more calm time internationally, yeah. and so they were putting together materials for international exhibitions of posters, and so I got to see these posters, not just of the tobacco materials that I was looking at, but also posters from 1917, 1918 wow. by truly Im- Im- immensely great artists in their originals, and five foot by ten foot, just massive posters, an amazing experience overall. Wow. Thinking back to that and where we are now with the war in Ukraine, I assume you you were not able to go to Russia at the moment. How is it to be someone whose work is, you know, rooted in this this place that now you and so many other scholars and people who you probably know who work on this are, are banned from and you don't really know maybe when the next time you would be able to go is? First and foremost, it, it is devastating to look at what is happening at U- in Ukraine and to so many places that I have been and to so many people who are being um, victimized mm-hmm. and and um, terrorized by this this war. I have come to the realization that I probably won't be able to get back to Russia yeah. um, and that I have seen my last of places that I truly love to be in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, and to see people and scholars whom I respect and who have taught me so much and supported me in the past. And where have you seen, I guess, as people have focused more um, there's been renewed interest and, and maybe like a necessity to mm-hmm. to study. Um, the Soviet Union and Russia, where have you seen that scholarship going? And maybe why is it important? Well, the biggest thing that we're seeing, I would say, as a field is an emphasis on different storylines. And so we're seeing a splintering of narratives, a faceting of narratives that I think informs us more of how the state functioned when it was an empire, but also the thing that fascinates me, dysfunction. Uh, And so I think we're getting to see much better through this emphasis on the interaction between different regions, different nations within the Soviet Union and the Russian Empire. So I do want to talk about your book has been shortlisted for the Pushkin Prize. Um, yes. Can you tell me just a little bit about this, you know, what that means to you and um, how it's been? So the, the Pushkin Prize, it comes from the Pushkin House in London, which has been around for decades. The prize itself was established in 2013 to acknowledge the best writing on Russian events on Russian literature and history. And so to be included in that for writing is is exceedingly sweet. It has been lovely, um, lovely to be recognized in this way. The ceremony itself will take place in London on June 15th. And so I am setting out to go there. I'm going to give a talk beforehand on June 12th, then uh, be there for the ceremony. I don't know how that will go. There are six of us on the short list, and it's a 10,000-pound prize. Wow. I know. They say there's no money in history. I, I, I Proof <laughs> otherwise, and a trip to London. <laughs> Jet-setting lifestyle. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so that's, it's exceedingly exciting. I am 
astonished to be on a list with such incredible work in a year that was big for publishing on yeah. Russia. There were a lot of books about <laughs> Russia this year. And so to be singled out was unexpected. Thank you, Trish Starks, for talking with me. The name of the book is uh, Cigarettes and Soviets. Smoking in the USSR. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was University of Arkansas history professor Tricia Starks speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. Her book Cigarettes and Soviets, Smoking in the USSR, is nominated for the 2023 Pushkin Prize. NWA Pride will be just a bit different in 2023. Last week, organizers announced Pride and Walton Art Center wouldn't be working together this year after several years of partnership. That decision was made after Walton Art Center decided to not host the NWA Pride Youth Zone. Last week, we invited both NWA Pride and Walton Art Center to talk to us about the developments. Monica Gennetti, the president of the board of directors of NWA Equality, and Richard Gathright, the director of NWA Pride, came to our studios last Thursday. All of our other things were they were fine with, but this particular event, the drag story hour and the, the, the drag uh, in the teen zone uh, for the teen kids was going to be prohibited. So you say March 30th. Most of us didn't know about this till May. Correct. We have been trying to get some resolve um, prior to taking this public. We, you know, this was not something that we wanted to do, but um, our hand was kind of forced. And so here we are. So the statement from Walton Art Center says, you know, drag is something they do and will continue to do. It's just they and they, they said any other Pride events could be there, just not the drag story time that involved minors. That's correct. But you decided nothing at Walton Art Center. Correct. Um, I think that if we chose to prioritize hosting the event at the Walton Art Center over um, our own community, that would be a, a big mistake because if we chose to continue to host it there and pull our drag events, that plays into the narrative that drag is dangerous and that children's safety is not our number one concern in the youth zone. And that's completely false. It is our number one priority is children's safety and we care about children's safety. So you've moved to the that uh, event to the Fayetteville Town Center. What does that mean because before it was so convenient, the parade was right there in front of Walton Art Center. Of course, the parade will continue to go past Walton Art Center. But this event now having to be on the square, does that mean logistic challenges at all? Yeah, it's it's definitely created created some um, logistical issues that we have been able to work through. There's an increase in cost, um, and you know several other other issues. Like yeah, it's a little bit further, so we're we're trying to work with you know a couple of different transit authorities around here to maybe have a shuttle that goes back and forth, so folks don't have to walk in the sweltering June heat, you know, back to the festival and to the youth zone. But you know, it's kind of nice because now the farmers market's going on when the youth zone's happening. So I think. That's a positive. What were the discussions like, as much as you want to talk about them, to try to continue to have this event at Walton Art Center? I think the problem is, is that we were not originally included in those conversations. And a partnership is not one person making a decision and then telling the other partner. It's a conversation together. And the decision had already been made, and then we requested that they meet with us to discuss this. And at that point, um, it was very clear that this decision was not going to be changed, um, regardless of what points were brought to the table and what um, safety plans and anything that we could bring and provide, um, which we were not asked to bring anything or provide any type of clarity around how we could make this and our programming work in the space the way that it has worked all of the years past. They're not the first entity in Arkansas to decide to not have a scheduled uh, drag performance that included reading for children. The political climate in Arkansas has become more divisive or toxic in and the last hostile, year. And hostile. Very hostile uh, to the LGBTQ community, women, um, people of color. Um, you know, anyone that's marginalized, it seems that the state's taking a position that, you know, we're less people. We're less of people. So, you know, so, it's just hard. 
So I guess I'm asking, did you have conversations with each other, I don't know, from an empathetic perhaps view of the Walmart Center decision? I mean, did that have a role in the conversation you might have had internally? Yeah, I think that um, if we didn't believe people could change or move forward and, and make progress, that we would not be an advocacy organization. And um, very clear that we are not ending our relationship with the Walton Art Center, we're pausing it. Um, I really hope that there is a future where they can meet us where we need them to meet us because allyship is not about fair weather. Allyship is is allyship regardless of what you're afraid of and, and what could happen. And we, we walk around with that risk every day. We know those things. And the thing about the LGBTQ community is that, you know, just like many marginalized communities, like that is not something that can be or should be hidden about somebody and they can hide whether or not they want to affiliate with us or not. And that's fair weather. And that's that's not how we view allyship. Monica Gennetti is the president of the board of directors of NWA Equality and Richard Gathright is the director of NWA Pride. Our conversation took place last week in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. We also reached out to the Walton Art Center, but they did not accept our invitation for an interview. But the venue has released a statement. Drag is a performance medium that Walton Art Center recognizes and presents on our stages regularly, and that will not change. We celebrate diversity both on and off our stages and are open to hosting Pride events this year, except for drag storytime for minors and drag performances by adults specifically for minors. The statement continues, our decision was made in the interest of safety concerns for performers, patrons, staff, and event organizers due to the divisive political rhetoric at this time. NWA Equality chose to move all of their events from Walton Art Center. This is Ozarks at Large. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville. Wregional.com slash herhealth to learn more. Talks to raise the federal debt ceiling continue in Washington. In an interview with Arkansas PBS, 3rd District Congressman Steve Womack of Arkansas said the debt ceiling needs to be raised and a default is off the table. Congressman Womack says he does support his party leveraging the debt ceiling to pressure the Biden administration to cut spending. We're going to demand that in order not to be having to do this year over year over year, that we start the process of trimming the size and scope of government and then doing things that we think are smart policy matters that have had bipartisan support in the past, like work requirements for people that are able-bodied without dependents that are getting government benefits, whether it's food stamps or TANF and those sorts of things. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has warned that if the debt ceiling isn't raised by early June, the U.S. won't be able to pay off its debt. Last week, President Joe Biden met with Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy to discuss raising the debt limit. Outside Magazine is naming Arkansas's Monument Trails as the best mountain biking in the United States. The Monument Trails are a series of mountain biking trails within Arkansas state parks, including at Hobbs State Park near Rogers and Devil's Den State Park near West Fork. The honor is part of outside online selection of best outdoor places to visit in the country for adventure. The Beaver Watershed Alliance is hosting an educational glade ecology and management field day, May 24th, 10 a.m. to noon for residents and landowners. The free event takes place at the recently restored Stephen Foster Educational Glade in Lake Leatherwood City Park in Eureka Springs. Participants will learn glade management techniques to promote plant and wildlife diversity. Nate Weston, senior geospatial ecologist with the Beaver Watershed Alliance, will lead the 20-minute hike to the recently restored glade. He says glades are remnant ecosystems resulting from change in natural climate in North America. From like 9,000 years ago, uh, when this area used to be have a much hotter and drier climate than it does nowadays, glades are basically these areas with really thin soils, really shallow outcroppings of bedrock, and that's created kind of a, a desert-like habitat or a desert-like ecosystem. They typically almost never have trees on them, with the exception of some trees that are adapted to those really shallow soils like eastern red cedar. And uh, basically, glades act as almost like a, a pocket ecosystem or a refuge for some of those species that colonized in those time periods, even after the area had cooled down and uh, temperate forests moved in from the east. Weston says more than 11,000 glades have been documented on Beaver Lake watershed, most under an acre in size and many are in poor condition. He says participants will learn key glade restoration techniques. 
Brittany Booth is a subject expert of Ozark Glade. She wrote her uh, master's thesis on Ozark Glade ecology, and she also has hands-on experience working with the Stephen Foster Educational Glade and the restoration of, of that glade. Pre-registration for the field day is required. BeaverWatershedAlliance.org for more details. Several literary figures will participate in a virtual tribute to novelist and Arkansas native Charles Portis tomorrow night. Hosted by the Library of America, the tribute will include Roy Blunt Jr., Calvin Trillin, and Mary Roach. The event is connected to the Library of America's publication of the collected works by Portis in one volume, including the novels True Grit, The Dog of the South, and Norwood. The program is scheduled to begin at 5 tomorrow and is free, though registration is required. Required through Eventbrite, just search for the best American writer you've never heard of, a tribute to Charles Portis. The 12th ranked Razorback softball team will host an NCAA regional in Fayetteville beginning Friday night. The Razorbacks are the 11th seed nationally. Oregon, Notre Dame, and Harvard will also be in the regional. The first game will be Oregon against Notre Dame at 4 Friday afternoon, with the Arkansas-Harvard game following. The regional is a double elimination format, with the surviving team advancing to the NCAA Super Regionals, the last stage before the College Softball World Series. Meanwhile, the number three baseball Razorbacks own the best conference record in the SEC heading into the final weekend of the regular season. Arkansas won two of three games at home against South Carolina this weekend. Arkansas will finish the regular season with a three-game series at Vanderbilt beginning Thursday night. And the Northwest Arkansas Naturals start a six-game set with Springfield at Arvest Ballpark today with a rare weekday daytime game. The series continues tomorrow night and lasts through Sunday afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis. Next month, the second annual Ozark Mountain Soul Fest will be held at the farm in Eureka Springs. This year's festival takes place June 15th through 17th, and it will feature camping, a wide variety of music, and more. The festival is presented by local artist Opal Agafia, and earlier this month, she stopped by the Harold and Blanche Call Canoes studio at KUAF to talk to me about this year's Ozark Mountain Soul Fest. Our conversation began with a discussion about the meaning of that name, Ozark Mountain Soul. In 2017, I actually remember thinking, how do I explain my sound? You know, I don't really fit. In the genres, you would say Americana roots, right? Yeah. Or country roots. Yeah. But back then, I was just like, I wonder what my sound is. And I came up with Ozark Mountain Soul, which is just a little bit of mountain music, a little bit of rock and roll, a little bit of country, um, traditional gospel, all wrapped up into one, which... You know, and then we have some old-time swing. So really, it's roots music. But Ozark yeah. Mountain Soul is my particular brand of Americana roots music. I like it. I feel like it's an apt title. Yeah, yeah. It's totally me. I mean, I grew up in the Ozarks. And yeah. more than soul music, it's like my actual soul, like Ozark Mountain Soul. I feel like yeah. my heart's in the Ozarks, you know. I got you. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about the Ozark Mountain Soul Fest. How did it begin? It started last year, right? It did. Um, I was wanting to throw like a one-day event out at the farm in Eureka Springs. And I have been building with the owners there. They kind of found me. <laughs> and so they just, they had a date open and a weekend open. And they were like, well, you can throw a whole event. So it became a two-day event last year. And I threw it in three months. I had three months to take off with Which it. Which that's insane to me <laughs> that you pulled it yeah. together in that short of a time. I know. I was like, but when you get opportunities like that, you know, I'm not going to turn them down because you never know if you'll ever get an opportunity like that again. Right. So, And it went really well. So that's kind of how it came about. And then, uh, yeah, I just called all of my buddies, and I was like, let's let's do this. Let's All my artist friends that I could reach out to and that had dates available, and we made it work yeah. three months. <laughs> so last year was the first year. It obviously worked well. Mm -hmm. You're doing it again. Uh, was there any lessons that you learned about putting on a festival from last year? Oh, yeah. I can't do it all myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. And, you know, I'm DIY and self-funded, so that's hard to do sometimes to, you know, outsource. But this year, I am slowly but surely finding ways to do that. And I think the proper word is delegate. <laughs> yes, that's a word that I sometimes have a hard time yeah. understanding. <laughs> right. And find the right person for the job. 
Yeah. And knowing what these jobs are, you know, I'm a musician. That's what I've done. I've been on that side of things. So I knew that side pretty well and how I wanted that to flow for the artist just because of my experiences and being that side in other music festivals, the artist. So I had to learn a lot and continuing learning, <laughs> uh, star, <laughs> but vendors, activities, upkeeping the grounds and all mm. of that. There's just you know, marketing the event, which I, again, DIY, so I market my own music, but it's just, this is a big scale and trying to get the word out, you know, so just all of it. It's a beast. (laughs) So after going through, you know, the experience of learning how to put a festival together, does it now seem like the music part is kind of the easiest bit of putting on a festival? I would say, yeah, because that's what I do. That's what I love to do. That's why I started. It's like I'm playing two nights, so I get to be really creative in my sets. And then also I get to pick out the artists that come and play. I get to bring my favorite artists to the Ozarks. So it's like really easy for me to do that. I love that part. The other stuff is something I'm learning as I go. Yeah. You know. So is there anything different about the festival this year? Yeah. We have two national acts this year that are pretty substantial artist in the bluegrass world. Well, when I saw the steel drivers on uh-huh. the bill, my mind was just blown. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I still am like freaking out about it inside. Like, I can't believe this is real. <laughs> but it is. I never would have gone to that side of town if it hadn't been blood. Never would have took a mind to track her down if it hadn't been blood. Never would have loaded up a 44 Put myself behind a jailhouse door if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been for love. Four cold walls against my will. At least I know she's alive and still. Four cold walls without parole. Love. Also, we have three days of music this year and three nights of camping. So we'll have 20-plus bands this year. It's just last year was only two days. But, yeah, so it's a full-on camping music festival for a whole weekend. So you mentioned that one of the things you love about putting on this festival is you get to bring some of your favorite bands to play in the Ozarks. Yes. Is there any method for how you choose who's performing at the festival? That's a complex thing because availability is a big deal. Right. Um, Especially in the summer, I would imagine. Yes. And, you know, it's it's a new event, trying to get people out here. But luckily, it's been pretty easy because the farm is pretty well known. And then I also have developed relationships within the scene. As far as picking, you know, I will say it's really just I wonder who have you played in the, at the farm before? Do you have a following around here? Mm. Also... Really, this festival is different, so we have a little bit of everything. And that's my main goal is I want variety. Yeah. yeah. Not just folk music, not just bluegrass, mm-hmm. not just rock and roll, a mm-hmm. little bit of it all. A little bit of everything, which is Ozark Mountain Soul, which is what right. I call my music. So right. I think that's the trend there. Is So when I pick, I'm like, I want a variety. Yeah, I got mm-hmm. you. So who are you most looking forward to seeing perform at it this year? I have year? to choose one. I, I mean, have to you choose can pick them multiples. All. You can choose multiples. <laughs> it's so hard to say. Okay, so obviously the Steel Drivers I'm very excited about. Vince Herman Band, that is Vince Herman of Leftover Salmon. Mm. He's just released his first solo album, and he's bringing his project to our festival. Okay. And it's really going to be special. I'm excited for that. Also, there's this band called Dirtfoot who used to play on Mulberry Mountain a lot. Yes. And they haven't been around here in a long time. When I first came around into the scene, they were really just so kind to me yeah. and just encouraging me. And I'm like so excited. I used to jam out to their shows before I even told people I played music. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like so excited to have them and host them. Turn off your TV and listen to me. Oh 
think the last time I saw Dirtfoot was about nine years ago at the last Harvest Festival down in Wilburyville. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. a 2 a.m. show, and they just blew me away. And, you know, they get those big stilts and bean cans. Uh-huh. They're so much fun, and I'm really excited about them. Obviously, I'm excited about my set, but another one I'm excited about is Brick Fields. She's mm. going to be out at the farm, and I don't know if she's played out there yet. Huh. Yeah. I know. That's we have a crazy. lot of women on our bill. That's that's something really cool about this festival is that it's ran by a musician. It's ran by a female musician. Mm-hmm. So it's I get to include a lot of women out there, and I'm really excited about that. Do you Just feel like that's a area. responsibility for you to do as you're heading this festival? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paving the way, you know, I do it for myself, for the people who came before me and the people coming up. You know, it's, it's important, I think, to... Get women involved. Yeah. And the farm has been a venue that's just really just, they have supported me through and through, and um, that's awesome that they do that. Yeah. And uh, I think that's how it kind of, it's like a domino effect. You right. Know? Keeps snowballing down the Yeah, hill. and that's how change happens, you know. So yeah. I, I do think it's a responsibility for myself to be more inclusive. Now, you mentioned that one of the things you love about putting on this festival is you not only get to feature some of your favorite bands, but you also get to perform. Mm-hmm. Is that challenging, having to balance producing a festival while also playing, you know, two or three sets during said festival? Absolutely. <laughs> how, do you, how do you keep it straight? Well, I'm, again, building a team this year that can help me. Um, when I'm on stage, they can be the voice. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? To keep things in order and make sure everything's going smoothly. You know, they're pretty well set up out there at the farm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the people that Hillberry uses for their team, I'm also have relationships with and they're, everybody's been so kind in helping me guide me in this and support me in this. It's, It's really awesome. So you mentioned camping. It's at the farm in Eureka Springs. Is camping included in the festival? It is, yes. Okay. Camping is included with each event ticket. What what can people expect who are planning on camping? So we have primitive camping. We've already sold out of all of our 
electric RV site hookups. Mm -hmm. But you can bring an RV or a camper pop-up, anything like that for an extra fee, and you can do primitive camping with that. We will have a shower house on site, obviously, restroom facilities and everything like that yeah it's gonna be pretty smooth it's it's you know there's a lot of great campsites out there it's like the farm is on 160 acres so you have plenty of space to go wherever you like i believe we're we haven't announced it yet but i believe that we're going to have wonderoo adventures Mm. doing shuttles from the farm to beaver lake okay and doing kayak rentals Oh. So stay tuned for that on our socials at okay. Ozark Mountain Soul. And, uh, yeah, I think it's important to say that Ozark mm-hmm. Mountain Soul is an Americana Roots Festival that's multi-genre. You're going to get a little bit of everything there. Mm. There's two other acts that I'm really excited about. We're going to have Arkansas on Thursday. Okay. So, yeah, Arkansas will be there. And then there's this band called Daz and Bree from Little Rock, uh-huh. and I am so excited to have them. They're amazing. They are amazing. And... I don't think they've ever played the farm before. I don't think so. I no. mean, they played Fayetteville, but. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited to get more people over to Eureka Springs, you know. Yeah. That's my home. So where is the best place for people to find out more information about the festival, to get tickets, all of that? Okay, you can go to opalagafia.com for more information for Ozark Mountain Soul. You'll just click the Ozark Mountain Soul tab, and it'll have everything you need, tickets, lineup, and event schedule, the works. All right. Well, Opal, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us again. We thank really you. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Opal Agafia speaking with me earlier this month inside the Harold and Blanche Kalk News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. The Ozark Mountain Soul Fest takes place June 15th through 17th at the farm in Eureka Springs. Tickets start at $65 and children aged 12 and under get in for free. You can find tickets and more information at opalagafia.com slash Ozark Mountain Soul Festival. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville wregional.com slash herhealth to learn more. This is Ozarks at Large. This week's episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas with Randy Wilburn goes barbecue. Randy invited Dana Neely, owner of Fayetteville-based Girls Gone Barbecue, to sit down with him. She grew up in Desark in eastern Arkansas and kept her love of barbecue with her when she moved away from the state to the Pacific Northwest. During their conversation, Randy asked her about her journey to become a barbecue pit mistress, to launch a restaurant in her native state, and about her desire to have a barbecue location with several vegan options. I had to find a Worcestershire without anchovies in it to make this. So that started out to make the make sure I had a vegan barbecue sauce. Okay. Then there was grilling the greens. They're just with collards and kale and olive oil. Really simple. Okay. Don't over the hickory. Give it that smoky flavor. I had to figure out how to do my black-eyed peas. I smoke those. I smoke the vegan beans. I had to figure out, and it was very important for me to incorporate all this so that everybody, it's all-inclusive, everybody right. can be a part of the barbecue experience. Yeah. It shouldn't just be the meat eaters. Sure. Now I do a soy curl sandwich, too. So I smoke soy curls, and I put that with the vegan barbecue sauce. Now we have a vegan slaw. We have a vegan brioche. So it's a full-on vegan sandwich. Yeah, I love that. So I And I didn't I need to come back and order that. I didn't have a chance to try that out, but it sounded interesting. And I've been a, I've been a big fan of vegetarian or vegan options. And I would say that the first things that ever come out of my mouth whenever I go to a barbecue restaurant, regardless of where I am across the country, so I'll ask them about their greens. I'll ask them about their beans. Are your beans cooked with pork or are they cooked or are they just smoked? Some beans are smoked and then without pork, without meat in them, which is fine. And then and then I ask about the greens. Do you put fat back in your greens or what? Right. What do you put in your greens? Some people put turkey necks. Like my grandmother made greens with turkey necks. She did make them with fat back, but 
she preferred the turkey neck because of the smokiness of it. So that was just it. And sometimes it's just different preferences that you're going to find, right, from kitchen to kitchen. But I always ask it. That's one of the first questions that I ask. So it's nice that you have those options readily available. Because I remember looking on your menu and I was like, oh, okay, she's got, there's a lot that I can eat here because I don't eat red meat or pork. So it's okay, what else can I eat? And I thought the, the chicken was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, the chicken was really good. Thank yeah, we, I enjoyed it. I, and my friend that came with me, he had the ribs and he thought they were out of this world. That was another question that Matt Gergeny, who is a member of I Am Northwest Arkansas Tribe, he asked, interested in learning more about your approach to vegetarian barbecue. Was there anything else about vegetarian barbecue that you became aware of in the process of actually doing it? Moving back here, I found out about Alpha Gal, this thing from getting the Lone Star Tick, okay. which I had no clue about. And so on for my vegetarian and vegan options, I have a separate smoker so that folks with Alpha Gal can actually come in and they can eat. Okay. Because it's all done on a completely, I have a veggie smoker. Okay. All right. And what is Alpha Gal? You can't eat hoofed animals, I think that's what it is. Oh, okay, okay. So they can't have, it's, right. so they can have chicken, but right. they can't have, they can't have like pork or red meat. Sure, okay, interesting. And again, it's just my AD when it comes to that. I'm just like, man, is he cooking bacon on the same grill that he's about to make my pancakes on? And I know it doesn't sound like much. And normal people would be like, listen, bacon grease comes from heaven, right? <laughs> and I get that. And yes, I'm sure it does. I just don't prefer it I, in, hey, in my yeah, pancakes. So I, it's I just totally kind of the way that. it is. But I appreciate the fact that you've gone to certain lengths to make sure that people that are truly vegetarian or vegan, that their food is not necessarily tainted with anything else that they may not not want in it. Because I lived on the West Coast, too, and I know what the vegan community, and I'm using yep. air quotes now, is like. And, you know, there's a whole vegan mafia out there. You got to make sure you're doing right by them. Otherwise, they're going to yeah. cry foul. And so I appreciate that, especially since you brought that sensibility back to Northwest Arkansas with you. Yep. And that's impacted how you prepare food and the food offerings, which actually gives you a wider audience to to share with. Yeah. There is a good market for a wide variety of barbecue options, which is why I think what you're doing at Girls Gone Barbecue is so special because you're off you're widening the menu outside of the scope of what people are traditionally used to in a barbecue restaurant. Yes. And I still have the traditional, I still have the pulled pork. I still have pulled chicken. I'm doing pulled pork and pulled chicken a little bit different than anybody else. Okay. Because I'm pre-saucing my pulled pork. Interesting. I pre-sauce it. I want it to be sauced the way I want people to taste it. Because I don't like to personally walk into a barbecue joint and then pour all the sauce all over them. And then then we're just tasting the sauce. I want them to taste that meat and the sauce together Together. so they get that smoke. And it's just the right amount. Because, again, that's what I grew up on. Barbecue sandwiches I grew up on, they sauced it for you. Right. Dana Neely is the owner of Girls Gone Barbecue in Fayetteville. The entire latest episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas with Randy Wilburn can be found at IamNorthwestArkansas.com. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A New York transplant became well-known for her paintings of Arkansas wildflowers. Inez Whitfield was born in New York in 1867 and was educated in the Northeast, eventually founding the Whitfield Bliss School for Girls in New York City. By the turn of the century, her rheumatoid arthritis led her to visit hot springs for its therapeutic baths, and she moved there. Though confined to a wheelchair, she immersed herself into hot springs society, helping to found the Little Theater and the Hot Springs Garden Club, among others. But she was best known for her watercolor paintings of Arkansas wildflowers. She would traverse local trails in her wheelchair to gather specimens to paint, and people later sent her flowers from around the state. Her work was displayed at the Rockefeller Center in New York and the University of Boulder. In the 1940s, the Federated Women's Clubs of Arkansas bought 400 of her paintings, which now are in the collections of the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts. She died in 1951. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. Tomorrow, on a Wednesday edition of Ozarks at Large, Candy Lee is ready to let us hear her new music. Yeah,
new music intended for ears of all ages on tomorrow's show. We'll talk with her and hear her play in the Furman Garner Performance Studio at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 FM KUAF. You can also listen to our show by subscribing to the free Ozarks at Large podcast wherever you get your podcasts. On the next episode of The Beloved Community, host Chris Seawood sits down with Dr. Ricky Booker, DEI thought leader and opinion columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette to discuss the diversity, equity, and inclusion landscape, its necessity, history, and ongoing placement in the sphere of race relations in Arkansas and beyond. But DEI positions uh, came out of the civil rights movement. Um, It started as diversity, just getting people who looked differently, specifically black folks, specifically brown folks, specifically women into the workforce. Now it is diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging, and so many other things because Mm -hmm. it's really leaning into um, systems of oppression. Episode two of The Beloved Community. Listen for free at KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and all of Newton County. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Randy Wilburn, and Mark Christ. Timothy produced the show in the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Additional content today provided by Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich and the news team at KUAR Public Radio in Little Rock. And KUAF's underwriting director is Ryan Versi. You can ask him questions about underwriting support by email. Just send it to ryan at KUAF.com. All right, Timothy, while we were putting the show together today, the brand new uh, best Places to Live from U.S. News and World Report Best Places to Live in the United States list came out. I'm guessing Northwest Arkansas is still on the list. We still are. Last year in the list, we were seventh best metro place to live in the United States. This year, we're tenth. Well, David Letterman would still approve, I'm sure. Yes, I think so. Well, uh, let's see. The best place this year is Green Bay, Wisconsin, mm. which sounds like it has way too much snow for me. Yeah, same. Huntsville, Alabama, second. Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. They're always up there. Yeah. Uh, Boulder, Colorado, again, snow, right. <laughs> uh, followed by Sarasota, Florida, Naples, Florida at five and six, Portland, Maine, again, snow at number seven, Charlotte, North Carolina, eight, Colorado Springs, again, snow at nine, and then Fayetteville. Well, it seems that list is all full of places that are either incredibly humid or incredibly cold. <laughs> and we've got a little bit of all of it. We do. We do. So, yes, I don't I don't think we should, you know, be too worried that we fell from seventh to tenth in the best places to live in the United States. I'm fine with that. I'm yeah. I'm okay. Uh, Let's see. I should tell you that KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. You can catch us again tomorrow, noon to 7 on 91.3 KUAF. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Timothy Dennis. And one last reminder that our theme music is written and performed by Daryl Sean. His most recent CD is titled Still Here. You can find out more about him and find that CD wherever you find out more about music or find CDs online. And thank you so much for spending part of your Thursday with us. Again, we will be back tomorrow at noon and 7. With You usually host on Thursdays. Today's Tuesday, Timothy. Yes, so sorry about that. But have a great Tuesday. Yes.